Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. I want you all to put your hands together and welcome my brother and Lord, Pastor Jason Ahrens from The Journey Bayless. Hey, brother. You're awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. I love Carlos. Uh, his friendship, his partnership in the gospel, uh, it's been dear and precious to me, and this is a wonderful opportunity. Let me first of all say uh, hello to Refresh Community. Uh, it's amazing to be here. Uh, we pray often for you as a church, and we love all the things that the Lord is doing here in the life of your church and uh, how you're reaching this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love your staff. You have an amazing staff uh, that you should give it up for. Um, <clears throat> And it's a wonderful blessing to bring God's Word to you. In fact, if you have a copy of Scripture, and I hope you do, if not, I think there's one located underneath uh, your seats, uh, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. And we're going to be returning to this sermon series here in Luke that you've been in at the beginning of the summer. We're coming back to it. If you would, and if you are able to, would you stand as we read God's Word? Luke, chapter 6, starting in verse 12. The Lord says to us through his writer Luke, verse 12, in these days he, speaking of Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when, he, and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus. And Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Glad well, you're being seated. Let's just go, if we would, just one more time to the Lord in prayer. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to open your word. We take it as a great privilege that you speak to us. And we pray this morning that you would give us open ears and open hearts to hear your word because your servants are listening. Might you open our eyes to behold the wonders of your word and most of all to see the beauty of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Well, on Friday, July 15th of last year, Bob Salem was the fourth person to push a peanut up Pike's Peak. Now, like Pike's Peak in Colorado, he pushed a peanut, now catch this, with his nose. It took him a record seven days to push this peanut, and he did it mostly at night, uh, avoiding distracting questions and the request for selfies from those who passed by. And by the way, it wasn't just one peanut. Bob admitted later that he had often eaten many of the peanuts, and uh, he lost a few on the journey to the top now, there are a lot of things we could say about this story, but the first one I have is four, like four people actually pushed a peanut to the top of Pike's Peak. 
I mean, let alone just like the reality of what happened in pushing a peanut, like to bend down and push a peanut all the way to the top. But Bob was part of four Pikes Peak peanut pushers. You can say that fast. Bob was inspired by a man by the name of Bob Williams, or Bill Williams, I should say, who lost a bet and then completed the task in 1929. And each of the men, interestingly, followed, both inspired and imitated the man that was before him. And in doing this, Bill and Bob became part of a very unique community. And friends, that's crazy. But it's about as nutty, and that's a bad pun, it's about as nutty as living your Christian life without being a part of the community that Jesus Christ has created called the church. Now I want you to take that in. In a very polarizing time today, God has placed us and given us the privilege and allowed us to flourish inside the community that Jesus has created that he started here with his apostles. It's a wonderful privilege to be a part of that community. And you don't have to push a peanut to the top of Pike's Peak to be a part of this community, thank God, because I don't think I could do it, especially in seven days. I mean, that's crazy. Seven days. You're going to think about that all day. All right. We're going in this text to see that God intended us to live and to flourish in true community with others. And this morning, as we return to Luke's gospel, we're not only seeing that Jesus is the true and only liberator, we're seeing that because he's bought our freedom, he's also given us a freedom. And when you hear the word freedom, here's what you need to understand. Freedom is something that you turn from. You get a freedom from something, but it's always a freedom to or for something. Our culture believes in a negative freedom. They believe that we should get freedoms from all these things and not have to do this. I mean, we're celebrating Labor Day, right? Which is really awkward. Like on Labor Day, you're actually not working. Like, uh, yeah. But like, so like, you're, it's freedom from. It's always like cease doing something. And by the way, that's freedom. But the wonderful news of the gospel, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is he gives you a freedom from and then a freedom to with a purpose. You're freed from sin and self and Satan and death and hell. That's something to be free from. But you're freed to be weaved into a community, to have a purpose with the gifts and the calling, first and foremost to glorify God, but to live in community together. And friend, if you're going to be liberated today, if you're going to, to feel the freedom of flourishing with the gifts and the, and the person that God has made you to be, to live in the community that Christ has created for us, then you need to answer three questions. Number one, if you're taking notes, where will you go to find community? Where will you go to find community? Number two, what will you do in community? And number three, will you be a part of this community? Number one, where will you go to find community? Now, in our, in our day today, everybody, especially 15, 20 years ago, everybody was looking and thought we might find better community through social media. There was all the crazes of MySpace, and do you even know what MySpace is? All right, I was like, yeah, all right, there you go, there you go. Like Facebook, I, mean, I almost asked, like, does anybody know what Facebook is? But like, like, we thought we'd get community there, but what did we find? It was a fool's errand. It, it, was a, it was a reality that we thought it promised more than it could honestly deliver. Now, that's not to say all bad things about social media. 
We can use it for godly purposes, but it is to recognize we won't find true community in that way. Where will we go to find true community? Before I can answer that or help you see that for yourself today, you need to know where Jesus went and why he went there, where he found community. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're, you're dialoguing, you're communing with somebody, and, and you're carrying on a conversation that's pretty intense, and all of a sudden somebody walks up and joins your, your, your dialogue, like right in the middle of your conversation, and they try to like jump in. It's like doing it with like jump rope. It doesn't work, does it? Like they, it messes everything up. Why? What's the problem? Because they don't have context. So they, they mess up the conversation. You need context. Well, when you go to God's word, often we can jump into a text and actually not understand the context, not actually understand what's gone before it. So if you actually look in your Bibles, and I hope you have your Bibles open, you'll actually see if you go all the way back even to the very end of chapter 5, Jesus has been having a showdown with the Pharisees. Now, that's not a dance. That's like a debate that's going on. There's a question about his disciples and their lack of fasting. There's, if you look at the beginning of chapter 6, especially if you've got headings, there's a real question of the, him being the Lord of the Sabbath, what the Sabbath is for. Or if you look at uh, just right above in verse 6, you see on another Sabbath, he enters the synagogue and he heals a man and they're upset. In fact, they're so upset, look at verse 11. But they, that's the Pharisees, were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. So what's going on? What's the context? What's been happening? Well, things are heating up. Like troubles on the horizon. Things are beginning to happen. And what's Jesus doing in response to that? Well, look at verse 12 again. In these days, he, that's Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. Now, Jesus isn't running from the Pharisees. And in fact, let's just be real clear about that. Because if you go through Luke's Gospels, Carlos will show you, and those who preach will show you, Jesus is not afraid to get into a controversy. He's not afraid to, to have conflict. He's, he's, he's about the truth. He's about his mission that God's given him. But I want you to know that Luke is pointing out a pattern. You see it all over, actually, Luke's Gospel, but he's pointing out a pattern that you actually see, uh, if you look back at chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, this is a pattern with a purpose. It's a pattern with a purpose to show you this morning that there's something more than Jesus just going out in, these, uh, in moments to pray by himself. Notice this. When Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and the crowd who's still unbelieving at the time is gathered around and is watching Jesus be baptized, do you remember the scene? The, 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 the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descends upon him. The heavens seem to open up, and the, the voice of the Father comes down and says, this is my beloved Son. What's Jesus doing at that moment? Luke is the only gospel writer who tells you. What's Jesus doing? You can look at it. You can see it on the screen. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21, it says, when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, that's when the heavens opened up. He's praying when that happens. Or remember that scene, uh, Luke chapter 9? It's the pivotal moment in which Jesus is not only asking, what do others say about me, but who do his apostles, his disciples, say he is? Do you remember that? The, the divine light bulb goes on for Peter, and Peter like, realizes that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. That's who this Jesus is. This is no mere man that's before us. This is God come in the flesh. What's Jesus doing right before that? Well, if you look at chapter 9, verse 18, what do you see? 
Now it happened that as he was praying alone. Do you see that? He's praying. By the way, same Greek word. This idea of he's continuing to pray. He's been praying over and over. And even in this moment, Luke wants you to know that he's even praying in the midst of all the activity that's going on. But how about this one? Jesus takes both Peter, James, and John to what's often called the Mount of Transfiguration. Why? Because in an amazing way, Jesus is transfigured. They see the fullness of his glory at that moment. They they come to realize who he is. Now, Peter, James, and John like hit the deck. Right? They, like, they don't know what to do. But do you know what Jesus was doing before that? Luke chapter 9, verse 28 says this. And as he was praying. Do you see that, church? And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Now, friends, I, I think... Yes, Luke is pointing out that in pivotal moments, we need to go to the Lord in prayer. Definitely saying that. Like, these are pivotal moments in his ministry. And by the way, there are many more moments like this all through Luke's gospel. I wanted to leave a few for Carlos for later, okay? So lots of times, like, Jesus is constantly praying in his ministry. But here's the key. The key is this. Luke is showing you a pattern that if you want to see the revelation of Jesus and who he is, and you want to learn what it is to be his follower, then you need the instrument, you need the means, you need to what? Pray. Do you see that, church? Like At this moment, what, what Jesus is doing is he's gone out to a mountain to pray. Now, you might think at this moment, well, that's just kind of, he's like giving the scenery and telling you what he's doing. But look back at verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Mountain is not <clears throat> just a location or a place. Mountain is actually code in the Bible. Because when you look through the Bible story, it's on the mountain where people meet with God. You think of Moses, Mount Sinai. Why did he go up the mountain? He ascended to meet with the Lord. He asked like the Lord would show him his glory. Where did he do that? On the mountain. Uh, over and over, we get tons of them, but like Mount Sinai, or, uh, 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 Elijah comes down, or Elijah asks that the Lord would bring down fire, right? He's on Mount Carmel. Over and over throughout the Bible, God meets with his people on the mount. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is showing you and I that if we're going to have real, true community, we've got to go to the mountain. We've got to go to God. We have to go to him in prayer. You might be here this morning because you're like, hey, I, I, I need to be a part of something. Like, I, I, need to, I need to interact with people. You know, obviously, not only from the pandemic, but maybe even just like social media craze, all those things you're thinking, I need to be a part of something, to be something uh, that is greater than me. But friend, if you're first going to come in, you must first go up. You see, when you go up first, that's actually how the Lord brings you together. You need to have a restored relationship with God before you can actually experience true community. Friends, this is modeled over and over. When you look in Luke's gospel, what you often find in the disciples is that over and over they mess up. Over and over they ask the wrong questions, or Peter's putting his foot in his mouth, or, or they mess up on this, or they're asking for fire to come down and Jesus is having to rebuke them. Like, over and over. But it's interesting when you turn the page of the Bible to the hinge of Acts, of the Acts of the Apostles, here's what you find is that actually the disciples start to realize that that pattern that they saw of Jesus going to pray should be part of their life. So when Jesus in Acts chapter 1 ascends to the Father and he asks them to wait so the Spirit can come down, 
What did the apostles do? Do you know what they do? Acts chapter 1, verse 13. It says this. It says, all these, actually verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Friend, over and over throughout the Bible, if you're going to experience real and true community, it first has to be by you going up to the Father. And in in going up to the Father, that's actually how he brings us into community, into unity with one another. Now, here's the the freedom that comes from that. I think sometimes we've got to figure out like, oh man, I've got to figure out all these things and how I can have community and work it all out and I've got to have this master plan but here's what's amazing. There's a, a writer named Sarah, Sarah Zilstra. Sarah writes these amazing stories about what God's doing all across the world. She was on a podcast recently and she said these words. Let me paraphrase. She said, I can't tell you how many stories I covered start, that started with believers saying this. Quote what they, notice what they say. We didn't know what to do, so we started praying together. Now, friend, that's freedom. We didn't know what to do. We didn't have it all figured out. In fact, it's kind of like Jehoshaphat. You remember Jehoshaphat? The army's completely surrounding them, and he doesn't know what to do. What's he say? My eyes are on you. I got no clue what to do at this moment, but Lord, my eyes are on you. There's a freedom that God gives you and I in the power of prayer to know that we can go to him and the Lord promises to answer. That's a powerful thing. Where are you going to go to find community? Go to the mountain, church. Go to the mountain and pray. Number two, what will you do in community? All right? We've seen what we need, where we can go find community, but what will we do in community? Now, if you look back at the text, what you see is a whole list of names starting in verse 13. I'm not going to go back and read them all, but it's just pretty striking. You have a list that four times is found in the Bible. It's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and interestingly, also found in Acts. And it always starts with who? Peter. Do you see that? Peter's at the beginning. But who's, it always, who's always the last in the line? That's right. Good. Church didn't know. So there you go. So Judas is always last in line. And it's quite a diverse group, isn't it? If you know the first four and if you've read the story, the first four are what? What do they do by vocation? Well, Simon and, and Andrew and James and John, they're all fishermen, aren't they? I think someone said it. If you look on, you see Matthew. What's Matthew? If you go back in chapter 5, that's Levi. Levi's a tax collector. He's in cahoots with Rome. He's collecting taxes. He's bid on ways in which he can make more money because Rome says this area is a certain cost and I'm going to bid it and take it for this much money and I'm even going to tax him more money. He's in cahoots with Rome. That's what he's done. But then you get somebody like Simon. Who's Simon? You see that down in verse 15 at the very end? Simon's called a zealot. He wants to overthrow Rome. Now, that's an awkward lunch conversation. <laughs> I, mean, that, that, that's, I mean, think about it for a moment. Jesus is bringing together this crew. That it, it, it's quite the crew. Uh, the, their backgrounds, their training, well, they wouldn't have been obvious candidates for the task. It's pretty unlikely that a first century rabbi would have intentionally recruited fishermen, tax collectors, political revolutionaries. But you know what that tells us? This is something about Jesus' community. This is about his kingdom. If you look back at chapter 5, what's he say? He says, when he's called Levi, he says, look, I didn't come to call the people who are well. I came to call the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. And friend, when you find yourself in a real, true community, you find there's not only a lot of diversity, but we're all a mess. And you're at the first of the line. Like, like when you begin into a true community, what you find, a true Jesus community 
is that you have people from all different backgrounds, all different vocations, all different lifestyles. Like, they've come from all over. There's one thing that they have in common, and guess what? That's Jesus Christ, that he saved them, that they've turned from their sins. That's a powerful thing. It's no different for us today. Now, here's what you need to know. Jesus molds and he shapes this group. And how does he do it? Well, what you'll find in all four Gospels is who's always with Jesus. I think when we often think, it's always we think Jesus is kind of wandering around by himself. And, and, and he's always, you know, having these fights with the Pharisees, these bad guys. But actually, there's more time spent in the Gospels where Jesus is with his disciples. That he's training them. That they're learning more about ministry. That he's preaching to them. In fact, when you look back, if you do, look back at verse 13, it says, And when day came, he called his disciples. Literally, disciple means learner or follower. That's what they are. But he chose them from them, 12. Now, that's interesting. We'll come back to that. Whom he named apostles. Now, apostles literally means sent ones. It means those who are sent out. They're, they're like special representatives for him. Now, what you'll find is that if you go on and turn a couple of pages, that in Luke chapter 9 and in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out his apostles, his disciples, and he calls them to preach. He sends them out by two, which is probably why they seem to be grouped in pairs, which is pretty fascinating. So he sends them out to preach, to, to, to teach. Now, interesting, in Mark's gospel, he kind of gives you the purpose statement and summary all together. So you can see it on the screen, but in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, it says this. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, did you notice the two things? What are the two purposes? What are they doing in community with Jesus? They're to be with him, and they're to be sent out. They're to cast out demons. Now, I told the first service that I'm going to leave that to Carlos, but let me at least say this. Jesus was an exorcist. I know I got your attention now, don't I? All right. Because I think you and I think that all that's real is what we can see with our physical eyes. But Jesus knows that there's more to the world, to this world that he created, than just this physical world. There's a spiritual world in which he has control over. All right. So there, there's times to cast out demons. But let me say this, as unique as the apostles are in their foundational role as the 12 apostles that laid the foundation for the New Testament church, the mission that was given to these apostles is the same mission given to us as disciples. When what is that? It's to be with Jesus and to go out from him. It's to gather together and then to scatter to be salt and light into our community. Now, I know that some of you, it's Labor Day weekend, so we spent this some time over the summer at the, at the pool. And if you spend some time at the pool and you ever watch the lifeguard, what are they typically doing? Well, they should be like watching the water to make sure no one's drowning. But what I often experience is, is that they're twirling, or twirling their, their whistle. Do you ever notice that? They're always playing with it. Like, you know, and so they spin it in and they spin it out. They spin it in and spin it out. And sometimes they miss it and it like goes all over. Right? Now, you know when you spin something in and it gets tighter... That's called centripetal force. It, it's getting tighter and it's winding up. But when you spin it out, what happens? It's centrifugal force. So it's centripetal and then centrifugal. It goes out. You see, there's a calling that we have as Christians. It's to come in and to go out. And it's not either or. It's actually both and. And if you don't come in, you can't go out. And if you don't go out, you won't know how valuable it is to come in. 
Now, now, if you catch this, here's what's important here. I think some people always want to be in and some people always want to be out. But if you're always in, you grow stale and you grow cold and you're the chosen frozen, right? Like you're just frozen here. Like you don't do anything and you become, you become stale in some horrible ways. But if, friends, if you go out and you just stay out, what happens? You dry up, you shrivel. Friends, I'm going to call you to what your name is. Your refreshed community. There is the value of coming in to be refreshed by Jesus Christ. Paul tells Philemon, he says, I want to be refreshed in Christ from you. There is a calling that actually, even in coming together, we refresh one another. We, we encourage one another. We, we, we warm up as what? Not just because we're together. There's something wonderful about being together, even being together in our diversity and differences, but we're together and we're refreshed because what? We're beholding the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. Now, when you get that and you begin to understand that, then you begin to also understand why you also go out. Because what happens is at the very end of the service, we do something. We pronounce a benediction. And when we pronounce that benediction, we often raise our hand. Why? And you lift your hands, palm upwards. Why? Because you're knowing that this is the only posture in which you can ever be as a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that is to receive. But we don't just then end and say, all right, out, peace out, goodbye. No, we actually send you out to do the mission, to be salt and light. So you gathered in, and at the very end, we actually send you out to be the salt and light, to preach the gospel, to cast out demons. That's what you're called to do. Now, I had a seminary professor that he also loved to, uh, always loved to tell our class these funny words. He would say to us, manure in a pile stinks, but if you spread it around, it's fertilizer. That's all you're going to remember from this sermon. But it's true, isn't it? There's a value of coming together. And that's not to say we stink when we come together. Maybe we do, but like, like we're coming together, we, 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 we smell ourselves. I'll put it that way. But when we go out, there's power. As we've come together, we're spun out to bless others, to re- actually to refresh the community that's around us. Do you see that? Now, let me tell you the last question. Will you be a part of this community? Will you be a part of this community? Now, What's interesting here is that, and I skipped over it, but did you see the word right there in the middle of verse 13? It's a number, actually. It's the number 12. Now, that's a, it's an interesting word because 12 is used all throughout Luke's gospel, and in fact, all the gospels. It's often talked about as the 12 baskets they collected after Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish. But it's interesting that eight times Luke refers to this group of apostles as the 12. He doesn't say the 12 apostles. He just says the 12. Now, that's got to be significant. When you start seeing a number that keeps appearing over and over throughout the Bible, there's got to be a reason for that happening. And there is a reason, friend. In fact, when you begin to think about it, it's, it's kind of going back to that story I told you about. You've got to kind of know the context. You've got to know the whole story. You've got to know the big story of what's going on. So let me take you back for just a moment. You see, at the very beginning of time, God, the Father, was living in complete harmony with his son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he created Adam and Eve. He created all things by the word of his mouth, but on the sixth day he created Adam and Eve, and he had perfect unity with them. He had harmony. 
And that harmony was a beautiful, blessed reality of what was going on as they lived together, as God walked with them in the cool of the garden. And yet Adam and Eve, in their rebellion, broke that harmony, broke that unity. How? By rebelling against God and eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which he told them not to eat of. In fact, to tell them to eat of that was what? To die. It was death for them. They broke that unity. And friends, they experienced not only a separation, a disconnection between them and God, but they also experienced the unraveling of a relationship. And friends, we see that. You don't only see that in the Bible, friends. You know that in your own experience. How many of us today have broken relationships? There is nothing more painful in life than personal, interpersonal conflict. I mean, think about it for a moment. As a pastor, I spend a decent amount of time with people, especially people who are near their end of their life. And I've never in all my time as a pastor ever heard anyone say at the end of their life, man, I wish I had more money. Man, I wish I had more stuff. Man, I wish I had a bigger house. But friends, I've sat with old men who had tears running down their eyes who would tell me about a broken relationship with one of their children. Friends, you and I know the, the casualty and the power of broken relationships and the hurt that that causes. But God, in his love, has a plan. And in that plan, he chose a man named Abraham. And Abraham, he promised not just to make a, a, a great name, but to be a great nation. Or you could say this, to be a great uh, people, to be a great community. And how did he do that? Well, God had a plan Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob, catch this, had what? Twelve sons. And those twelve sons went down into Egypt because there was a famine, and they were enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years, but God in his mercy delivered them. Those those, uh, twelve sons that became twelve tribes took them through the Red Sea, where they landed on a mountain, catch that, Mount Sinai, where God made a covenant with those 12 tribes that he would be their God and they would be his people. So friend, when you're coming to Luke chapter 6, you're like, some of you are wondering, like, is he going to go through the whole Bible? It's going to be a while here, right? When you come to Luke chapter 6, here's what you find out. In Luke chapter 6, you realize, where's Jesus at? He's on a mountain. Oh, well, that's like, kind of like back there in Mount Sinai. How many, how many did he choose? He chose 12, just like there were 12 tribes. Every Jew in that time, and if you follow the picture of the Bible, or the story of the Bible, I should say, you'll realize that God is reinstating. He's restarting his people. He's doing this in amazing ways. In fact, you can see this over and over. Let me just give you one place. Luke chapter 22. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus says this. He says to his disciples when they're eating the Passover meal, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Here's why I'm making a big point of this. Because Jesus is showing you that he is making a better and greater community. What you saw in Israel is that they can never come together. They were constantly fighting. There were constantly problems. They were constantly rebelling against God and breaking up in their own tribes. But Jesus, when he comes, he chooses 12 men to bring them together in unity to start something that the world has never seen. 
to start a church, to start a body, to start his bride, to start a church that he purchased with his own blood. And it's not of one ethnic group. It's a group from every tribe and tongue and nation. Why? Because he said, go and make disciples of what? All nations. That nations means all peoples. So all peoples, he's gathering together in all their diversity and he's making them part of the bride. And friends, you today can be a part of that community. Glenn Scribner is a, is a pastor. He's a, a, an apologist and evangelist. And let me, let me riff off of what, how he puts it. He notices over and over throughout the Bible that Jesus, especially here in Luke, Jesus is in his ministry is love and life and light. But friends, when you turn away from love, what do you get but disconnection? When you turn away from light, what do you get? Darkness. When you turn away from life, what do you get? Death. Do you see that? But when Jesus comes and he sees the one that he loves, he's the one full of love, but he sees his beloved and he knows that they're in trouble. What does he say to them? He says, your pit will be my pit. Your plight will be my plight. Your darkness will be my darkness. Your death will be my death. Jesus is love come down from the Father, not just to be with us in darkness, but actually to take on darkness on the cross, to take death on the cross, to take on disconnection on the cross, and he plunges it down into the depths of hell, and then he raised up on the third day to love and light and life. That's what he does. And this is what he says to you this morning. He says, do you in darkness want my light? Do you in death want my life? Do you in disconnection, do you want my love? And anyone you hear today who say to him, yes, here's what you get. You get Jesus in your life. You get his father as our father. You get his spirit as our spirit. You get his future as our future together. That's what happens. And you can be a part of that in his community. It's free. It's forever. And friend, why would you not be a part of the Jesus community? Refresh community, here's what you get today. You get to be a part of the Jesus community. And friend, it's not for yourself. You get to be a blessing. That same thing he told to Abram, to Abraham as he became. You get to be a blessing to the nations. You get to be a blessing to this community. It's not just that you get refreshed. You get to refresh those around you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's, here's what I'm praying for you, is that you today would turn from sin, you'd trust in Jesus, and you'd be a part of this community. For some of you, friends, that means you need to make the decision to be a part of this local church. You need to realize that, look, just sitting on the fence, just kind of coming when you want to come, isn't being a part of a community. You get to be a part of a community by showing that, yes, I've turned from, Jesus, or turned from sin, I've trusted in Jesus, and I'm part of this refreshed community today. May God make it so. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're praying that by the power of your spirit, you would come and speak to our hearts. For us in this room today, there might be broken relationships that need to be mended. There may be pain that's almost undescribable for some, but only the work of your spirit can heal and mend. Lord, for some, it's been a rift in this community. Maybe it's with someone even here in this room that, Lord, there needs to be reconciliation. Would you bring that about today by the power of the gospel, the power of your spirit? Lord, as I just mentioned, for some in this room, it may be to see the importance of the local church to be a part of this community, to dig in and engage 
to be a part of a community of life and love. Lord, would you make that happen? Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for its leadership. Thank you for what you're doing. Lord, might you continue your work here so that you might bring glory to your name. Praise your name, Lord. Lord, your your name is majestic in all the earth, and we pray even at this very moment you would make it majestic among us that we might see Jesus. Thank you that Jesus has brought us into a community where we can experience his love. And so, Lord, we pray that that would happen. There would be many refreshed today. And Lord, I pray in particular for those that are young. I pray, Lord, that they might see as they look out on on a life that you've given them about an opportunity to serve in the local church. Why don't you help them to dig in and plant themselves, use them. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing. Continue to speak to us through your word. And we pray all of this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.